surgical weight loss. What are the latest advances and does it work? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars, your host, and joining me today from New York is Dr. Christine Wren. Dr. Wren is Associate Professor of Surgery at NYU School of Medicine, and she's considered by many to be the leading lap band surgeon in the US. She's a board-certified general surgeon. Today, we're discussing recent advances in weight loss surgery and the results that our patients can expect from this procedure. Welcome, Dr. Wren, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, just to start with, how did you get involved and interested in weight reduction surgery? Well, it's interesting because during my surgical residency, which was about 15 years ago, I did not think that it had any value in the medical community. In fact, I just thought that these hopeless, severely obese patients were just having some crazy operation where they stapled the stomach and they went on to to suffer from vomiting and not eating. But in fact, when I did my laparoscopic fellowship, I did a fellowship for one year that really specialized in minimally invasive surgery. And there at that place, which was at Mount Sinai Hospital over in New York City, there was a lot of bariatric surgery being performed and I had no choice but to be exposed to it. What was fascinating was not the operation itself, but seeing these patients in the clinic three months later, six months later, not only did they lose a significant amount of weight, 50, 100 pounds, but all of a sudden their diabetes was better. Their medications were drastically reduced and they were so happy. They were more self-confident. They had a better quality of life. They were getting jobs that they previously couldn't, were discriminated against. They were getting pregnant because these women's fertility were, was improving. And it was like a lightning bolt that said to me, these people are actually getting a new life. And this is what I felt I could really be involved with as far as achieving personal satisfaction in my career. And where was the first type of weight loss surgery developed? Well, it really was here in the States in the 1960s. Really, the intestinal bypass was very popular, and then it went into stomach stapling, also known as the vertical band of gastroplasty. But these really have evolved, and the gastric bypass started in the late 60s and, again, has evolved into not only having a smaller stomach being involved, but also the surgery being performed laparoscopically. And the laparoscopic introduction to weight loss surgery really was in the mid-90s. This is what's really made bariatric surgery much more popular and received in the public and in the medical profession because it's cut down the complication rate. So when we talk about bariatric surgery, how do you divide the types of surgery up for those doctors who might be listening not familiar with the procedures? So not all bariatric surgery is equal, and you really have to understand that because it does play into, number one, the surgical risk, number two, nutritional risk, and then managing these patients long-term for any of the primary care physicians or endocrinologists that see these patients. So there are two categories of operations. The first category is what's called restrictive operations, and the second category is malabsorptive operations. Restrictive operations, the first category, really focuses on the stomach and diminishing the capacity of the stomach, diminishing appetite, and increasing satiety. So the most common operations are the gastric bypass, 
where the stomach is completely bypassed, or the gastric banding, also known as lap banding, where a device is placed around the stomach. The second category of surgeries is the malabsorptive operations. Those operations focus mostly not only on the stomach but on the intestine. And it's more of an intestinal bypass where patients are eating almost the same as they used to, but they are not absorbing, not digesting as much food, and they're actually passing it through their intestines, sort of like one of the Orlistat or the Xenical. And those operations are called biliopancreatic diversion or duodenal switch procedure. What are the most common procedures that you personally perform on your patients? I personally have performed and continue to perform the gastric banding much more frequently. And just to give you a background, I've performed all three operations because in my training, we did a lot of malabsorptive operations, a lot of gastric bypasses, and the banding wasn't even available in, in the United States. But as I saw the surgical and the nutritional complications that occurred, I was drawn to the safety of the gastric banding operation. And so I've really become much more of a fan of the gastric banding operation. Do you know how many patients you've performed this on? Oh, yeah, close to 2,000. Mm -hmm. And what are the numbers like nationally for the procedure? Nationally, it's probably about 30,000 banding operations being performed in the United States. And that's increasing each year, but because of public interest in it, because of the safety factor. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Mary Lushaz, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Christine Wren. We're discussing surgical weight loss and what our patients can expect from the procedures that there are to offer. Dr. Wren, we talked about your personal interest in a lap banding surgery and the numbers of people you've performed this on. What are the particular considerations you give to every patient when deciding which procedure is relevant to them? Well, certainly I want to know if the patient understands what the behavioral changes that they're going to have to make after surgery are, if they understand what's happening in the operation itself, and what the nutritional consequences are going to be. Because if they don't understand these things, then they won't be able to follow through and be compliant with the changes that are required. The patients usually come very well educated. Most patients do not want to have surgery. So they've done a lot of consideration of the operations. They've done a lot of research, particularly with the internet now. And they will come to you already knowing which operation they want. And my job is to make sure they have the correct information and they're choosing an operation for the correct reason. What's the cost of the procedure to the patient? Well, right now, the majority of health insurance companies in this country will cover weight loss surgery, gastric bypass, and gastric banding. Many of them will also cover the malabsorptive operations. However, it's state by state. So say I'm in New York City. So in New York, 95% of the insurance companies will cover some form of bariatric surgery unless there's some policy that's an exclusion for bariatric surgery. There are certain states, for example, in Florida, where none of the insurance companies cover it. So if the insurance company doesn't cover bariatric surgery, it can run the patient anywhere between $10,000 and $35,000. And in terms of the benefits post-surgically, do the costs justify themselves as time progresses in terms of less complications from 
the obesity that would have otherwise been still present? Absolutely. When you look at the morbidly obese population, very few of them have no medical problems. And so the cost of treating a morbidly obese diabetic, osteoarthritic, refluxing, hypertensive, depressed person is going to be about $1,000 per month in medications. And that's not including doctor's visits and loss in work. So the return on investment probably breaks even at about two years after surgery. And there have been a couple of economic models that have been put together that show this. In terms of defining your patient as obese or morbidly obese, what are the two definitions? The severity of obesity is actually defined by body mass index, otherwise known as BMI, which is kilograms per meter squared. And so you can, you can calculate the BMI, you can go on the internet and find a BMI calculator, or oftentimes you'll have like a table. And morbid obesity starts at 40. Severe obesity starts at 30 to 40. To give you an example, lean body mass index is between 18 and 25. So 25 to 30 is overweight, 30 to 40 is severely obese, and 40 or greater is morbidly obese. What's the most common question asked by your patients when they come to see you for this surgery? When can I have a surgery? And it's amazing because we have a very long process and not always intentionally, but from the time the patients decide on surgery to the time they come and see me, it's usually about six months, six months to 12 months, because it's a very big decision to have general anesthesia and to be cut by someone, as well as changing all their behaviors afterwards and giving up food for a variety of reasons. So they come to a public seminar that we give. They have to see our psychologist. They have to see our nutritionist for evaluation and counseling. They'll meet with our nurse practitioner. They'll see their medical doctor and then go through a battery of testing to make sure that they don't have any complications such as stress tests or sleep study as necessary for their medical condition. And then they finally see me. And it's a very long process most of the time, and they are ready to have surgery. Oftentimes, they'll have to talk to their support systems to make sure that they're behind them as well. How long does a lap banding procedure take on average? It would take approximately 45 to 60 minutes in our institution. And can we run through in more detail the morbidity and mortality associated with that particular operation? Sure. In gastric banding, the mortality is one in a thousand. 0.1%. Some studies it's 0.05, so it's 1 in 2,000, but it's extremely low from the operation itself. And in terms of complications, I imagine respiratory complications are probably the most common. Is that correct? Respiratory complications are not that common because the anesthesia time is very short and we're doing it laparoscopically. They have little pain, so they're ambulating immediately. Probably the more common complication would be pulmonary embolism. And again, that's, that's extremely low. Our surgical complication is very low, but in the literature, PE and myocardial infarction would be some of the more common causes of mortality after a gastric band. What's the average age of your patient population? It's a 47-year-old woman. 75% of our patients are female. The average age is 47, and the average BMI happens to be about 48. Uh huh. And how does the level of obesity in patients in the New York area compare nationally? I believe in New York State, 
it's 18%. In other states, it's up to 21%, 25%. Do you think that celebrities who talk in the media about this type of surgery are beneficial to the patients that you treat? I think it is beneficial when celebrities or people in the public speak about weight loss surgeries, specifically about them, because it makes them, number one, real people, and number two, it validates not only the operation, but it validates obesity as a disease. Because these people, celebrities, are hardworking, successful people. My thanks to you, Dr. Wren, for being our guest today. We've been discussing surgical advances for weight loss. I'm Dr. Mary Lushaz, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts.